All right, we'll start this class with a video, guys, for you. And look at this amazing job that this fellow is doing. Look at this guy. Look at that guy. Could you shut, shut that blind, please, for me? There we go. Look at this guy. You see that bee? You see what it's doing with its legs? You see her, the body hair on the top of the bee? What is it full of? Pollen. The whole body of the bee actually is full of pollen. What, what happens? The bee visits the flower, runs around the flower, the pollen drops on top of the bee, and the bee is grooming herself or itself. I call it herself because it's technically slightly female. And the reason I'm saying slightly, it's un the worker bee's underdeveloped female. The only fully developed female is what? The queen. Okay. So the rest of the workers are underdeveloped female. So she actually is grooming herself, like combing her hairs. Her body is full of these tiny little hairs, like our skin has hairs. And combing herself and then sticking the pollen to the hind leg, right around the knee. And brings that little bump of pollen back in a hive. So this is like an insight in how the bee collects pollen. All right. So we'll stop this video and we'll... Oh, I'll tell you the new discovery in the beekeeping world, guys. Here's the new discovery. It came just about four months ago. And uh, I read an article on um, NPR. You probably could hear that on a broadcast, too. But the new discovery is very exciting. It's actually exciting in a way where it tells me how wise God is, the way he created the bee. Here's the discovery. Let's imagine you are going shopping, okay? And you are in a strip mall and it's like eight in the morning and you're walking down the sidewalk and there's all kinds of shops and, and you are just curious what's inside. You are looking for something particular, but you're wondering, is it in this shop, in this shop, or in this shop? And what you actually do, you are coming to the door and it doesn't say open or closed. So what would you have to do? You would have to try the door, right? Try this door, oh, locked. Go to the next door, locked. 8 o'clock in the morning, nobody's open. By 9, some of them opening doors, you locked, ooh, open, you go in, you know. Now, the bees have very interesting life. They will have, if they went out there such a wonderfully creative and wise God, the bee would have to try the door of each flower, you know. Closed, open, closed every flower, and it would waste its life and its resources just trying just like you trying 8 o'clock in the morning every door in a shopping mall, right? Now, there's wonderful discovery that, that, that was made just about three months ago. Actually, those little hairs on the bee, the tiny little hairs on the body of the bee, are very sensitive to magnetic fields and to static electricity. You remember the static experiment in high school, you know? Rub your plastic, take a piece of paper, what happens? You know, it's, because of the static electricity, it's attracted. Guess what? Each flower with its petal, petals, you know, each flower, each, each little shop that the bee has to visit is constantly caressed by the airflow, right? And the airflow robs that, the petals of some of its electrons, right? Which creates static charge in the flower. And as the bee flies by, it doesn't have to land on each flower to find out whether there's 
nectar or not. It just can fly by and the little hairs on the body of the bee will either be attracted to the flower or be neutral. Now, if the, if, if the hairs on the, on the body of the bee are attracted to the flower, that signals the bee that, hey, this flower is electrically charged. If you studied physics, that means that nothing touched that flower. The charge is still there. It's not discharged. <laughs> That's exciting. That means that the bee says, hey, I feel attraction you know, to this flower. <laughs> Nobody landed on this flower for an hour. That means there's plenty of nectar. So the bee lands on the flower. Now, if the bee flies next to another flower and feels no static you know, charge at all, that means that somebody discharged that flower. Somebody landed on that flower just, just a minute ago, or maybe five minutes ago, an hour ago. <laughs> what does that mean? There was a bee prior to my visit sitting on this flower taking all the nectar out. So when the bee just goes from flower to flower, it actually can determine whether there's nectar or not on the flower, not necessarily by landing and looking for it, but just by sensing. Is there electric charge, static charge on it or not? I think that's great. It saves lots of time to the bees, Isn't that, wouldn't that? Ah, I think that God is so wise, yes. Does like cell phone towers and other things affect same question. The question is, do the cell phone towers and other electromagnetic fields affect the bees? Let me answer that, and we'll go into our subject of discussion, because we're going to talk about starting your own hive, okay? But this is the last question we'll talk you know, about the fascination of, 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 of this creature, how, how interesting they are. Do the cell towers affect, or does some kind of magnetic field from other things affect the bees? The answer is yes. Um, any electromagnetic spectrum or, or any electromagnetic um, radiation would affect the bee, including the electromagnetic spectrum of light. You know, whatever cell tower emits is very similar to light, visible light, only at a different side of the scale. It's on a much higher side of the scale. So the bee is very sensitive. And the bee's eyes can see all the colors you see except one. Guess which color the bee cannot see? Red. Absolutely right. Red. And all colors that we see are part of electromagnetic spectrum or part of same emission as cell towers do. So the bee is sensitive to those, except the bee cannot see red and below. Any frequency below red and below, the bee cannot see. However, the bee's eye can see beyond what we can see. What does that mean? They can see violet and ultraviolet. They can see or detect frequency beyond violet, which we call ultraviolet. Those are high frequency, and, and the bee's eye can, can detect that. That gives the bee an advantage. <laughs> Anybody seen black light shows? What happens to your, your white gloves? All of a sudden, they are what? They're, they're glowing. They are so vivid. Guess what? The bee can detect blossoms in the ultraviolet light. If you see in violet light, and, or like dark, um, you know, the black light actually is dark violet light. That's what it is. It's almost ultraviolet. And th that's the edge of the 
violet we can see. We cannot, uh, I cannot detect anything beyond that violet. <laughs> but the bees I can. So the ultraviolet that the bee can see makes all the flowers extremely vivid and, and glowing. So the bee can be a mile away and can spot a flower from that far. Sort of like a hawk can be like high in the sky and see a little mouse down there, you know, a little rodent, whatever, or a snake, whatever they like for breakfast that particular morning. So the same thing with the bee. It can see beyond what we can see. Can this, the bee see the, or be affected by the radiation or the frequency of the cell towers? Yes, it can. And it, what it does, it actually slightly affects their navigational abilities. So sometimes, if you keep the bees next to a cell tower or underneath the high voltage lines, all those produce magnetic fields. I have not seen it for myself, but I have read articles that the high frequency of the radiation from cell towers alters their ability to navigate. To what extent the article didn't say how damaging it is to my bees. I have not noticed that, but that's one of the reasons why some beekeepers say their bees disappear from their hives. One of the reasons, okay? Now, magnetic field from the wiring, for example, or from strong electromagnets or, or permanent magnets only can affect the bees in a way where they will build their comb in a different way than they would normally do. Normally they orient the comb in a way that it's straight sheet of comb, like straight sheet of wax, shaped sort of like a, like about, about this, this shape, you know. And they use for their abilities to construct, to build, the magnetic field of the earth, the north-south directional lines of magnetic field. If you had a strong electro electromagnet on the top of a hive, or just regular magnets from a large speaker, for example, put it on top of a hive, you'll, and I've seen that experiment done, you'll find very interesting thing. You open the colony after you had that magnet on the top of the colony for months. You open the colony and you'll see your sheets of wax not straight, but they'll be circular, just like the magnetic field uh, released from the magnet right there on the top of the hive. So that's the effect of, of, uh, of this kind of stuff. Now, the wires of um, power you know, distribution system are fairly high above the ground. So whatever electromagnetic field they produce dissipates at a high rate. Every, it, it's proportional to the square of the distance. Yes. So basically, the, if you are two feet apart, uh, away from the wire, you know, it affects you in a certain way, but when you are four feet apart, it affects you, you know, uh, square of that. If you double that, then basically you, you are significantly de decreasing your effect of the wire the farther you are away. So the, the way they are that high should not affect the comb or the things that, that would affect these when the magnet was right next to them. So the answer is no they do not affect them with except that some articles state, and I haven't seen it in practice, in my own practice, because I kept the bees under the wires and close to the towers. 
I have not seen loss of the bees due to the, to the disabled navigation system. I have not, however, some articles state that that's what it does. And perhaps somebody experienced that, I don't know. Yes? What about uh, the innovation and response? Because I know our electric magnetic field is like 10 hertz per second. And if it affects the bees and like other animals, cattle that have been affected and it's caused them to have right. babies and stuff, but not. Right. The Good. The question is, can the electromagnetic field um, cause mutations in bees in their development? And the answer is, it can. Of course, mutations are a rare thing, and uh, some of them could be good, some of them could be bad. Most of them are bad. So, yes, uh, I, I personally, because of high distance between the bees and the wires, have never observed any harmful effect. So that's, that's the answer to that. Our lecture, our lecture. Our lecture, let's go back to the hive. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. Okay, let's go back to the starting a beehive. Let me show you first what, uh, what, let me get my glasses, what a colony looks like inside. And then we'll talk about appropriate, appropriate um, uh, housing or, or how, how do you start it? So let's go right there. Here's what the hive looks inside. By the way, <coughs> somebody asked me, can we have some handouts, some materials? No, I don't have any handouts or materials. But if you have a thumb drive or USB memory device that you could, uh, either your phone or whatever you want to hook up to my computer, you're welcome to copy this material. You can copy it and keep it as a lecture, use it free of charge any way you want, no copyrights. God created that stuff, you know. <laughs> it's there to explore. So feel free to just come to me and plug in and copy this material. So what's inside of the colony, guys? Well, first of all, there's living organisms, living, living beings there, right? Very excited, exciting creation. Uh, there's three of them. Of course, the very first one, who is that, guys? It says it's a queen, a worker, and drone, okay? You see the different, difference in shape? The queen is most elegant. She's, she's uh, a beauty, right? The drone looks impressive. Big eyes, stocky, stubby guy, right? Why does he have such big eyes? To better to find the queen. <laughs> Because the only job that drone does in a hive is, is inseminating the queen. That's, he's mating the queen. That's his job. He's the male. He gets to get married. Now, the high price he's paying for that, his wedding day becomes his funeral day. Because he dies at the moment he mates. The next thing happens, he just drops dead. By the way, the queen and the, 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 the drone, they mate in mid-flight. They don't mate in the, in the hive. So there's these beautiful meadows they choose for congregating and meeting each other, you know. And the queen would come, a virgin queen will come after she's born, hatched. About five days later, she will reorient herself or re do some reconnaissance flying around and locate the place where drones congregate and say, okay, on a nice, beautiful morning, around 10, 11 in the morning, I'm going out, and I'm going to get married. You know, there's a southern 
song, I'm going to go to a church and get married or something like that. So that, that's her song on that day. <laughs> she's going out to church and she's getting married. Uh, so she's going to fly out and there will be a few hundreds of drones flying in that meadow. And they have these focused eyes that are looking upward. The queen is flying on a beautiful, sunny, warm morning. And there's a drone noticing her, catching up with her mates. The moment he mated, all his genitalia actually swallowed by the abdomen of the queen. So now she's the owner of the seed, not just the, the producer of the eggs, right? So, of course, the queen, her main organ that makes her very valuable for the colony is her ovaries. They pro can produce 2,000 eggs a day. That's a lot of eggs, if you ask me. A chicken produces one egg a day. <laughs> you know? So, 2,000 eggs a day. Now, the reason she is so valuable because she actually is the mother of every little insect in that colony. They started their life cycle as a little egg that she laid right there in the cell. You see, those eggs are fairly tiny. They're about the size of a poppy seed, except that they are elongated. They are not round. They are white. So if you want to start a new colony and want to see eggs easily, you can buy dark foundation that you can see white egg on it really easy. Or you can see, at my age, I have to have glasses. But if you're younger, you don't even have to have glasses to see the eggs. They are very well visible. Now, she lays all these eggs, but before she can lay eggs, she has to be fertile. Basically, a virgin, egg, a virgin queen cannot lay very good eggs. She can lay eggs, too, because ovaries produce eggs regardless whether there's semen in her abdomen or not. She can lay unfertile eggs, but guess what is born out of the unfertile egg? A drone, absolutely right. Drones or males are produced out of unfertile egg. Very interesting. So technically, does a drone have a father, guys? No father for a drone. So the drones don't have a father. It's a good puzzle or riddle to ask somebody, you know? Drones don't really have a father. However, the drone has a grandpa because the genetic material that gives the blueprint for the maleness of the drone had to be passed through somehow and it was passed through the mother because the queen actually had a daddy because the queen can only be born out of a fertile egg the egg that was fused with a sperm guess what this queen on her virgin flight would mate with about seven ten drones so she would actually have her full abdomen of sperm enough for the next few years, two, maybe three years of laying eggs and fertilizing eggs. And of course, the queen now is in full control whether she lays a fertile egg or unfertile egg. So she controls the balance of drones to the, to the workers and, and, and other insects in the colony, right? So she is in charge. She will lay a fertile egg or she would lay an unfertile egg. And a fertile egg will start developing into a larva, then a pupa or a cocoon, will spin a cocoon. And on 21st day, a worker bee will be born. So it takes how many days from egg to the worker bee hatching? 21 day. So on the 21st day, a fully mature bee emerges out of the cell. And if you want to see a pretty video, I'll show you. 
a video of a hatching bee. That's kind of fun to watch. Uh, let me see. A hatching bee video. Anybody can read faster than I? Uh, let's go back. Uh, hatching bee video. Here. At the top two? Okay, let's do that. There's a few videos. Oh, yeah, this also has a, a varroa You see these guys? This guy, this guy. It's like a chicken pecking out of the egg. They are eating the, the cover of their, of their brood because that larva will eventually be sealed by this cap that the bee is trying to eat through and emerge as a fully developed, mature bee. Sort of like a butterfly eating through its cocoon. Same thing. And there she is, just born, running around. You see how fuzzy she is? Now, all the bees' fuzz rubs off, so they become bald, as we might become bald as we get older. So you can tell the age of a bee by just looking at the bee. You know, newer bees or younger bees are a little more hairy than others. Now, there's, here's the queen right there. So she's looking for a cell that's ready for laying an egg. When is a cell ready? When it's polished nicely with propolis. Anybody heard of propolis? Propolis is natural antibiotic, antiviral, antifungal substance that is collected from the buds of the plants and buds of the trees. It's basically used to polish the whole hive inside. Everything is polished, covered with propolis to keep it sanitary and disease free. So that queen is looking for a cell that's polished and will drop her abdomen there, lay an egg, and keep going. All right, let's stop this. So we found out that this lady in a colony will lay up to 2,000 in the busy season, season of May and June of eggs. Now, sometimes she would notice that the nectar that's coming in is fairly thin. You tell me when the nectar is thin and when the nectar is thick, depending on the weather. When it's drought, what is the consistency of the nectar? Thick. And a drought normally signals abundance of flowers in the future? No, very few flowers in the future. Now, if the nectar comes in thin, what does that signal to the queen? There's plenty of what? Rain, plenty of rain. And, and it's forecasting a wonderful summer in the future, right? Wonderful summer with plenty of blossoms, plenty of nectar. So that's what triggers the queen's desire to lay one type of eggs or the other. Now, when the queen has a good prognosis or a good forecast, and there's basically plenty of rain, the nectar is coming in thin, and many beekeepers use that trick to trigger the queen lay certain kinds of eggs. So if there's plenty of flowers in the forecast, then the thinking of the queen is this. Hey, there's plenty of money in the bank and there's plenty to earn too. So we can reproduce and start new colonies. To start new colonies, what do you need in, the, in, the, in your colony? New queens. And to fertilize new queens, what do you need? Drones. New drones. So the queen desire to lay unfertile eggs will be triggered. So she'll say, hey, I need to produce some drones. So you see these cells that are slightly smaller, hexagonal shape, they are for worker bees for storing of the honey. They also for storing of the pollen, all right? Now, when they bring pollen, as you saw that video of the 
bee collecting pollen on the leg, the bee will bring it, knock it off her leg, put it inside of the cell, use her head to pack it inside of the cell, pack it nice and tight, and that pollen will eventually ferment inside of the cell or turn into something like we call sauerkraut kind of thing or yogurt. Let's call it yogurt because it's actually protein packed. Because pollen, we need what? We need carbohydrates for your macronutrients, right? You need pollen, uh, you need uh, protein. For the bees, that's pollen. Carbohydrates, that's actually nectar for them or honey. And you need some fats. No, the bees do not collect fat. However, the pollen in itself contains some fat, sort of like seeds and nuts contain fat, and that's all we need. We don't really need to, you know, refine fat into separate substance. It's not good for you anyway. So if, as long as the bee has pollen, she has all the fats, plus pollen has all micronutrients and minerals for a good health of the bee. So these cells are used for honey, pollen, and for laying worker bee eggs. Now, you tell me, guys, worker bee eggs, do they have to be fertile or not? They have to be fertile, very good. So the queen can lay how many types of eggs, guys? She only can lay two types of egg, and that's conditioned by the fact that she's fertile or she has had her maiden flight and she had mated with the drones, then she can lay both fertile and unfertile. But if she never mated, she can only lay what type of eggs? Unfertile. unfertile, okay. So out of the unfertile egg, we get what? Drones. drones. Out of fertile eggs, we have two possibilities. What are they? Either the queen or worker bee. Very good. So she can lay fertile eggs right here in these smaller cells. And if the colony, for whatever reason, lost the queen, let's say I'm such a sloppy beekeeper that I pulled a, a frame out of the colony and I bumped it on the side of the, of the hive and I squished the queen. Poor thing. Now, the bees, of course, right away will congregate around the queen. What's happening? What's going on? Oh, she's dead. Oh, no. They send a signal. In fact, it's not really a signal. It's the lack of a signal that triggers the desire to make a new queen. Because the queen produces a pheromone or a chemical uh, signal that tells the rest of the colony, the rest of the bees. And by the way, the queen always has around her her attendants. The attendant's job is to groom the queen, change the queen's diapers, because the queen doesn't go out of the hive to use potty, uh, feed the queen, do anything the queen needs, basically. That's why she's the queen. <laughs> she has these maids with her all the time. And one other job they do, they receive the pheromone or the chemical carrier or messenger from the queen, and they distribute it throughout the hive to tell the rest of the members of the colony that we are doing okay. Our queen is in good health. She's producing wonderful eggs. No reason to worry. The moment the queen is dead, there's no more source of that pheromone, right? All of a sudden, there's no that signal passed around through the colony. So the worker bees, and specifically the group of the bees that is responsible for rearing the babies. Did you know that the newly born bee, first through the fifth day, has a specifically assigned job? Their job 
by the way, all the jobs of the bees in the colony are determined by their age. So when the age of the bee is one to five, their job is to feed toddlers, to be babysitters for toddlers, okay? When the age of the bee is six, seven, eight days, then their job is to be babysitters for infants, all right? You practice on toddlers and then you switch to infants. <laughs> so this group, there's five, six, seven, eight, nine days old, their job at this point to take care of the infants in all the eggs, tiny baby eggs and larvae are the infants. So this group of bees that are, let's say, eight days old, their job now is to raise a new queen because there's drop in the on pheromone level. There's no queen. There's, we need to make a new queen. So they will actually take this same egg that is fertile that normally is raised to become a worker bee. And normally they would feed the worker bee egg. It's the same egg, but if they want a worker bee to hatch out of that egg, they will feed it nectar. On the first couple of days, a little bit royal jelly, just on the first couple of days. And then they'll feed that larva just, just pollen and, and nectar, that's all. However, if they receive low level of pheromone communicating that there's no queen, they will say, hey, it's time to raise a queen. Out of the same egg, they can raise a queen. And how would that happen? Well, they will put more royal jelly. And basically, they will base that little egg with royal jelly. Remember how many days does it take from egg to a worker bee hatching? 21, just like the chicken, right? 21 day. Now, because of this intensely nutritious substance called royal jelly, and by the way, only the bees that are age of 5 to 10 days are capable to produce it. Their glands are at peak performance at that age. They produce lots of royal jelly. So they can feed this egg tons of royal jelly. Oh, well, figuratively tons, but lots of royal jelly. It's based in royal jelly. Eventually, this egg will start growing at a much faster rate. Normally, it takes 21 days, right? But because of this dense, nutritious, full, rich of minerals that are good for the bees, nutrient, they will grow really fast. Guess what? Regular worker bee will turn out to be a cocoon about this size. So these are the cells of the worker bee that are, that are sealed. On the 21st day, it'll emerge like a, like a bee, like a fully developed bee. This cell right here is a what? Sealed queen cell. So it's the same egg that this was, only instead of being fed um, pollen and nectar, this egg right here was fed royal jelly. It grew much faster and it developed into a much larger creature, right? Inside there's a large cocoon because it contains a larger bee inside. It's a queen bee. And roughly on the 14th day, the queen bee will start hatching out like chicken out of the egg. Will start eating out this, this cocoon. And you actually, if you listen carefully, you can hear. The queen actually will be hatching. You can hear that if it's quiet, if there's no trucks or trains blowing their horns around. Now, you will watch that, and normally when, when the colony decides to make a new queen, there's two types of queens they could rear. They could rear 
emergency queen. Actually, three types of queens they can rear. Emergency queen, and it all depends on the social condition. And I'm getting hot. How about you guys? Ah, let me take this. Oh no. Actually, that's not good. This is better. So, uh, depending on their need, the, the queen that they, or why do they rear the queen? There's three conditions. One of them is it's an emergency replacement queen. I killed the queen because I'm a sloppy beekeeper, right? So they will, they will <coughs> immediately say, hey, we need to make a new queen. So they will start making about 10, 15 individual queen cells in different spots on the frames in the colony. There will be a few here, a few here, a few here, a few on other frames. And eventually, when this is about ripe and starts hatching, besides just munching through, it also will, will, will send a little signal to other queens. Because in the colony, how many queens can exist in one colony? How many wives are good for one family? One. Good. Um, this queen will actually start sending a beeping signal, sort of like beep, 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 beep. And you can hear it too on a quiet day when there's no people around. You can just listen to it and you hear beep, beep. Or you can just stay over the hive and hear beep, beep. And you say, ah, the queens are about to hatch. What is that signal for, guys? What do you think? I guess? Yes to let the other queens that might be present know that I'm hatching out and I'm about to come out. And if you want to survive, flee. <laughs> or we will have to duke it out. <laughs> and duke it out, they do. They actually, if this queen hatched and there's another one on the other side, they will have a match. And of course, one of them will die, unfortunately. That's what will happen. It can happen that the other one will be smart enough and run away, you know, or hide somewhere. Sometimes if the colony is so large about this tall, or some countries have wide colonies rather than tall colonies, like where I come from, the colonies grew sideways. So there could be a queen that hatched there and a queen that hatched here, and they are separated by 10 frames. And, and this one will peacefully exist in that corner of the colony, and this one will peacefully exist in this corner of the colony. They will never meet together. And they can, as soon as they meet, they probably will fight. And one of them will die. So that's what happens. So you can hear them beep. Now there's another type of a queen they will re rear, and that's, um, that's a swarming situation. It's a social condition in a hive when, let's compare it to a family. There's a mother and a father and 12 children. That's a biblical family. And, and the oldest is now, you know, 24. And the next one is 22. And the father and the mother sort of like nudging the, the older ones, you know, come on, start your own family, start your own colony, you know. The same thing happens in a colony of bees. When they grow out and they pack the, the, the hive full and they are crowded in their home, then there's natural urge to swarm. The colony says, hey, we are too crowded there's time for some of us to start a family of your own, you know, a colony of your own. So at that point, 
the queen will be sort of forced to lay eggs in especially built cells for the queens. And that will be for the future swarms or future new colonies that they will start. And of course, the queen will lay ma many of those. Before swarming, there's so many of them, different corners of the hive. And they also will develop, start beeping, warning the old queen to get out. Because if the new queens that are strong, agile, come out, they will definitely, or she, one of them can definitely kill the old queen. So what do the bees do? They starve the old queen before swarming. For about a week, the queen has nothing to eat. And guess what? She loses all her extra padding, right? Her ovaries shrink and she can fly again because when she's laying eggs and her ovaries you know, swell with eggs, she's so heavy she cannot fly. So they starve her and then she can fly again. So when these guys that are swarming cells that are about to hatch send signal beep, 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 the old queen says it's time to go. So she grabs half of the worker bees and some drones with her and they take off on their swarming flight. It's a beautiful sight. There's ringing in there. There's a cloud of bees and they are flying everywhere. Then the whole cloud is moving gently, slowly to a tree, you know, and, and sits on a tree for maybe a few hours, maybe a day, while the scout bees go and find a suitable location somewhere in a tree, in a hollow tree, or maybe a wall of a building, or some other colony, or uh, that's empty, some other hive that somebody left empty. And, and then they come back to the swarm on the tree and say, hey, we found a good home. Let's go. So the whole thing will move in. So another thing to know before you start your hive is this. Know that your quality of your workers will depend on the quality of your queen. If you have a good new young queen that's, that, that's fertile and and the time was good, there was plenty of drones around. For example, you can try to rear a queen right now in a spring, like or in January. And that queen won't turn out good. You know why? There's very few drones around to mate with because this is not the drone season right now. So the queen might mate with one drone and she, her, her lay, egg laying pattern will be very spotty. She will lay a few eggs here, a few eggs here. Some of them will be fertile. Some of them will not be fertile. So she will be a poor queen. So make sure when you buy a hive, you buy a queen from a reputable source that the queen was reared in a good summer condition or the other side of the world where the summer is currently there, you know? Because if right now here, the queens are poor quality if you were to buy a queen from Florida right now. Not a good queen, most likely. So buy a queen from Hawaii or New Zealand or Australia right now. Now, if you want queens late in the season, like April or May, you can buy queens locally. So another thing to know, you could have a few choices of comb. If you want to start a colony, you first of all need to read on biology of bees. Know the cycle from birth I mean, from egg and to birth of each individual, you know? How many days does it take for the queen to be born? 16. Um, sometimes it's hard to tell from, basically, if you rear a young queen, it's normally on the 14th day that you see her hatch. You know why? Because it takes about two days for the queen on the egg stage. Egg stage lasts about two days. So when you start a queen, you normally start them from larva, so it takes 
14 days. But if you technically would consider the first two days of a stage of egg, then it's 16 day until it emerges from egg to emerging. Now the worker, 21 day, the drone, 24. Yes, I saw a question somewhere. Yes. Yes. The question is, can a queen bee become rejected by the colony? Yes, it can become rejected. And there are two types of rejection that can happen. The colony that raised the queen can reject their own queen that they raised. Can you believe that? I'm going to open the door. Oh, no, I won't. There's, there's a meeting there. If you are not hot, it's okay. Maybe I'm dancing too much here. That's why I'm hot. Let me just calm down and not move, okay? So um, a colony can raise their own queen. And because they raise the queen, naturally you would expect the colony to accept that queen because they raised the queen. But for whatever reason, the colony would find some defect in the queen. Most of the reasons are there's some kind of infection that the queen might have so she's not developed well. There's some kind of parasitical or parasite infestation that occurred and the queen was not well developed, has some flaws in it. And I can, cannot tell those, but the, queen, the worker bees can. And they will reject their own queen because of those reasons. Most common reason that the queen is rejected is because of varroa infestation. Anybody heard of varroa mite? It's a, it's a parasite that the bees pick up from the grass. It's sort of like dogs running through the woods and picking up ticks. So the bees pick that. Uh, actually, that parasite actually lives on bees, but it, it is exchanged from grass. You know, when the bees visit grass or flowers, the mite jumps off and then jumps on another bee next time it visits the flower. So they come from India. And about 30 years ago, we did not have varroa mites here in the USA. We did not have varroa mites in uh, Asia, where I come from, or Eurasia, where I come from. Um, in Europe, there was no varroas, and in Asia, uh, Asia, Northern Asia, there was no varroa. Today, there's varroa mite available in any country. What do you think is responsible for varroa presence everywhere? Commercial beekeeping and transportation, globalization is responsible for most of the disease and pests that we get. Isn't that why when you enter California, they say, do you have any fruits in your car? <laughs> Same reason, right? When you bring bees from Florida to California, guess what they are asking for? Where are your ant traps? That's the question on the border. The agricultural um, you know, booth asks, do you have ant traps? Yes, show me the ant traps. They take your ant trap, they look inside. You must have an ant trap if you bring uh, bees from Florida to California. They look in your ant trap and say, hey, there's like 10 fire ants here. We cannot take your bees in California because California is protecting itself or its borders against the fire ants. So you say, what do I do? They, well, we need to wash all your colonies off with, with power spray, power wash. So they take each pallet with bees and they power wash the bottom of your pallet to get rid of all the, all the fire ants. That's what they do. They protect their territory. So the, if there were such methods to get rid of varroa mite, that would be a great thing because varroa mite is number one bee killer today. 
That's the worst thing that beekeepers have to fight. Varroa, V-A-R-R-O-A, varroa mite. V, Victor, Alpha, R, what, what is R? Robert, Robert, uh, Oscar, uh, Alpha, varroa, varroa mite. So what happens to the queen? What does varroa mite do, first of all? Varroa mite is such a pest that likes feeding on the lymph of any of these guys. Lymph is the blood system of the, of the bees. So varroa latches onto bee and you know, uses its proboscis or proboscis, whatever, and sucks the lymph out of the bee and basically lives on that nutrition. That's what varroa does. Now, an adult varroa does that. Now, varroa reproduces in a similar manner and similar way as other insects do. That means that there's a queen, varroa queen, that lays varroa eggs. And it likes laying varroa eggs in the cell where the bee will be developing. Why? Because it wants those little babies to have what? No food. And what do you think those little varroa babies would feed on? The larva. They will feed on the lymph of the larva. So if you do not take measures to prevent the explosion of varroa population in your colony, within two years your colony will be history. Just give it two years, uncontrolled varroa expansion, your colony is dead. So each beekeeper has to find a way of, of treating varroa. So remember, varroa, especially like, especially Varroa queen likes laying eggs in large cells. Why? Because her thinking is there will be a large larva, juicy large larva here, so I can lay a few eggs here. So when the bees are trying to raise drones, drones are raised in these larger cells. You see these guys? These are drones right here. This is regular brood workers. These are drones. So the Varroa queen would like to send more eggs or lay more eggs in the drone cells and especially if there's a queen cell, guess what? Varroa mite queen would like to lay more eggs in that one too. So very often if you have varroa infestation, the mite or the mite queen would like to lay eggs in the queen cells and drone cells and the resulting product would be poorly developed or, or you know, missing limbs or wings type of a species that will be born. So when you open your colony and you see wingless bees, or if you come to your colony and you see bees walking rather than flying because they don't have wings, it's a sign of a very severe varroa infestation. So that's why they will not accept the queen. The queen will have no legs maybe or two less legs than it should or will have no wings and they will reject that queen, they'll kill actually that queen. Now there's a second time when they will reject the queen. It's when the queen would fail to mate. Sometimes queens fail to mate. They are all old maids, is that what you call it in English? The, the unmarried person in old English. All right, so the queen is not furly, never mated. It was too rainy of a season or the queen didn't have strong enough wings to fly out and get married. So they will reject that queen too. Why? Because that queen only is capable of laying what kind of eggs? 
drone eggs, and the colony is in a dead end. It cannot develop. So they will reject and kill that queen. Now, there's actually one more instance when they'll reject the queen. The queen is introduced from another colony, like you bought a queen from another colony, and you're introducing your queen immediately without any, um, any acquaintance process. You just call Turkey introduce the queen. What do the guards do to strange bees, guys? Kill them. Fight them and kill them. That's what they'll do to your queen. So there's measures. When you introduce the queen, you introduce the queen in a special protected cage and you give enough communication opportunity through a communication window that has a mesh where the old old, um, pheromones of this queen and the new pheromones of the, the new colony are blended and eventually sort of like intermixed where they get acquainted and say, okay, we'll be friends, we'll, we'll be one colony, then they will accept the queen. Okay, let's move along here. So when you've learned this, the, the biology of bee, it's a good time for you to start your own colony. Um, you can actually start your own bee colony even without learning this, provided that you will immediately buy yourself a couple of books. You know, take a class. Uh, get acquainted with a beekeeper that's somewhere in your area because most beekeepers, most, there might be exceptions, but most beekeepers are very friendly folk. They like sharing about bees. Bees are like, like golf for them, you know, like people like golf or some people like some other hobbies. Now, beekeepers normally are hooked on bees for the rest of their lives. <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating world. Now, if I told you that there's a world around, another group, another, another world of creatures that are very intelligent, that are like super smart. Their society created such a wonderful uh, wide array of systems and they, just like us humans, they have fire departments, they have FDA, they have medical system, they have, um, you know, all, they have army, they have soldiers, they have police, they have, um, you know, sanitations, and I tell you, yeah, there's some society besides us on this planet that are that way. And you say, no way. Yes, there is. And you know what they are? They are what? They are honeybees. That's, they actually belong to a group of insects called eusocial insects. You know, so, you know about social insects. Some insects, like ants, for example, uh, some bees are social, some bees are solitary. They live on their own. Now, social means they group together, band together, form organizations. They form substrata and groups that perform certain tasks and jobs. They are assigned certain functions. And that's exactly what a bee colony is. In fact, the word you is a Greek word for good or well-structured. You know the word euphonium or eulogy. You means good. Logos means words, eulogy, good words. So you, social, means well or good, well-structured, good society. They are so well-organized. So bees and ants belong to that family. In fact, there's very few. There's only bees and ants that do that. So that means they have all the systems we have in our human world, in our cities. We have, we have you know, navigation routes mapped out. We have, we have fire departments. We have... FDA, we have, you know, all, all the things B have. They, have. they have control of their 
readiness of the food in their colony, and when the food reaches certain level of quality, they pronounce it good, and they seal it for the future generations to use it. So that's how complex they are. Now, before you dive into the world of beekeeping, study a little bit. And if you start studying, just, just scratching the surface, you'll realize how fascinating that world is. And you, you will get more books and more books, and you'll read, and you'll read, and then you'll take a class, and, and then you'll start doing it on your own. Or you can start doing it on your own, but make sure you're doing it with somebody. Because the experience of most people who start on their own by themselves without any buddy system is normally you get a couple of hives and then, then you lose them within first day, uh, not first day, first year, I'm sorry. First year or so, you lose them and then you get disappointed. And then you say, oh, well, I don't know if I want to start again. If you want to start, start with at least three colonies. Start with three. Why three? Because there's a good chance two of them will die. That's normally what happens. <laughs> Why would they die? It's not because you, you perform very bad. No. It's because you are learning about them. You are learning by trial and error. And you actually are reading up. You are consulting others. Don't try to do it on your own. Find a buddy. Join a local beekeeper society. Normally, through your local beekeeper society, you can find the address of location where you can buy disease-free bees. And the bees normally are shipped in packages. A package would be sort of like a, this size box with mesh sides. There will be wooden frame and then mesh sides on both sides and a hole on the top, a little food inside. And there will be three pounds of bees, maybe four pounds, depends on what you want to buy and how much you want to pay. And a package would cost you about around 100 bucks, maybe 80, maybe 90, depends on the size and the timing. Whether you want it early in the spring or late in the summer, the price will vary. But you, and also depends on the quantity you buy. If you buy just two, three packages, it'll cost you full retail price. If you buy a few hundred of packages, then you will pay bulk price, which will be significantly less. So start, if you've never done beekeeping, start with package. Why package? First of all, you will be disease-free if you buy it from a reputable source. You won't have varroa infestation. When I say you won't have varroa infestation, I mean you won't have a thousand of varroa mites on them. You will have maybe 10 varroa mites because it is impossible to uproot varroa completely. There's always varroa mites on the bees. You can treat them with natural remedies. You can trap varroa. You can, um, you can chemically treat. You can thermally treat your bees. All these methods, you know, get rid of varroa. But there's always about 10 varroa mites that are, you know, lodged between the, somewhere there that, that are hanging on. And, you know, that's, that's what happens. There's a question. Will you discuss the natural methods of treating varroa versus the uh, chemical? Yes, that's, that's a lecture about three hours later, but I can really quickly touch right now. There's a few natural methods, um, and some of them include um, herbs like thyme. Some of you probably know an insecticide called thymol, or maybe it's pronounced thymol, I don't know. Thymol, it's, it's derived from thyme. All the varieties of thyme that, that grow around, just the one you put in your food, same thyme, it has um, some oils, that very strong scent that the varroa mite uh, is affected by, and it, it, it stunts the ability of varroa mite to reproduce. I don't know how. 
but somehow it does that. That's one of the natural remedies. There's actually a chemical variety of this same remedy called, uh, called thymol. You can buy it for bees. It's a little harsher than herb, but if you just put herb, another herb, wormwood, um, wormwood is an herb, silverish, grayish, green wood. Uh, I mean, uh, wood, herb. <laughs> it's called wormwood. That if you touch it or take a little bite of the leaves, it's really bitter, like very bitter. It's called Artemisia. Say it again. Artemisia. Artemisia is another name for it. I'm not sure exactly what language, whatever it is. Maybe that's Latin, but English is wormwood. That herb also has the same effect as uh, thyme on the varroa. Uh, there's a few more uh, techniques that you could use. For example, you can introduce a few frames that have no worker cells, frames that only have drone cells. Guess what it will become there? It will attract what? Varroa queens will lay tons of eggs there, right? You will wait until the bees seal all of them, that means that all the Varroa queen's eggs are trapped in that frame. Then you don't really value drones that much. So what do you do? When it's all sealed, you take it out. So you, you just took out maybe a thousands of Varroa out of your colony. And then you take it to your neighbor's chicken yard and put it in the chicken yard. Chicken are really good. All, just regular songbirds are very good at pecking out the larva and all the varroa out of that uh, cell. Then when they are done with their job, return it back for more varroa, <laughs> more drones and more varroa. That's one of the methods. So there's a few more tricks. We'll talk more about it. Okay, so one more question. And maybe you'll talk about it, but um, what would be your top sources for like books Okay, there, okay, there is a very good, very simple, very inexpensive book you could buy. It's called Beginning Lessons in Beekeeping. Any of the beekeeping stores around your area will carry that book. There's more expensive, more colorful books. If you want to invest a little more money, they will be just as good. But very inexpensive um, book is Beginning Lessons in Beekeeping by Daydent. And, and that's very simple, very basic core things you need to know to start. And it's a good book. Um, now, where do you go for these things? You go online, it can be shipped to your door. One of the websites I love is called um, manlakeltd.com. Man, M-A-N-N, lakeltd.com. Manlakeltd.com. They have a very good system where they ship for free. Unless your stuff is really heavy, then they'll charge you something. But they have free shipment of your stuff. Um, so you can browse their books. They have inexpensive books. They have just basic book for beginners. They have complex literature that you need for further research and study. So go to them, guys. They are, they are good people. There's other things like right here, just about 10 miles down the road on the way back to Gainesville, on the left side, as you drive from here to Gainesville, to Spring, High Springs, is that the town, little there, little town? Uh, there's a beekeeping store called Daydant Bee Supplies. It's a yellow sign on the left as you drive towards Gainesville. Daydant, D-A-D-A-N-T. It's a French guy who moved to the USA about 300 years ago and started a bee business here, and now he's probably one of the largest equipment sellers here in the US. Kelly, another one, yes. 
Yes, in Kentucky. Yes, absolutely right. There's a few outlets. If you do a search on Google, beekeeper supplies, you'll have a few companies available. So all of them are reputable companies to buy literature, materials, and stuff. So if you want to start your own colony, by all means, do a little, a little study first. Because if you do not understand this, the life cycle of a bee, it will be really hard for you to make any decisions or any, uh, any manipulations of, of equipment. The equipment itself, when, when you receive it, you probably will say, how do you do this? How is it used, you know? So get yourself familiarized with equipment. The best thing to do is go and observe somebody uh, who has bees for a couple of days. Go with them, help them, say, hey, would you like some help? I'm available for free. You know, who can reject free help? <laughs> so he'll give you a bee suit and you'll just don it on and, and you will help with things that need to be done and you'll learn how to handle, you know, boxes, how to handle frames. Um, ancient beekeeping was very simple. You didn't handle bees, you didn't manipulate bees, you didn't actually, um, you didn't um, direct the development of your colonies. All you did was harvested the honey. That's how they did it a long time. You remember that uh, in, even in the biblical times, there was honeycomb available, right? And mostly the only way it was available, you would find a wild swarm somewhere with comb built and the honey available. So if you wanted some, you take your spear, you poke, <laughs> poke the, the comb, and then you retrieve the spear and lick some honey, and then you're good, right? At least that's what the Bible tells us, um, the story of, of, of that particular Jonathan slash, yeah, yes. <laughs> and Samson's, sto Samson's story too, right? He even made a riddle, very interesting riddle of that. So um, honey was available. Now only, only like starting in about 1700s, it was, beekeeping became a little more of a directed beekeeping where you directed the colonies what you wanted them to do and then there was a disassemblable hive or a hive that you can take apart was developed and um, one of the systems we use here is called root system it's it's a hive that you can take apart normally a colony would populate uh, some kind of hollow wall or in a cave somewhere some empty space or in, in, a, in a hollow tree, there's an opening. So a swarm of bees after they swarmed, you remember swarming is a result of overcrowding in some other colony. It will come out of that colony, look for a house, and let's say this is a hollow tree. They found an entrance here, and then they are inside of this hollow tree. They entered, there's nothing there. But when the swarm is taking off from the previous hive, they don't go out empty-handed just like the Egyptians were providing everything that Israelites needed, the old colony will provide everything the swarm needs. So they basically will take full sacks of honey. Basically, they stuff their currency in their pockets as they leave the old house. They go to their new location. They enter through the entrance. And with the currency that they brought, basically, which is honey, they ingest honey and the bees that are about 15 days old have ability to produce wax. Their glands that produce wax are active. They eat honey and wax is, has same elements in their molecule, same atoms, only they are rearranged differently than sugar. And that basically it's carbohydrate thing, the wax. And 
they will use the honey to build their first comb from the honey they brought from the old hive. They will build their first piece of comb. Meanwhile, they'll go and get more nectar, more honey, more pollen. The queen will start laying eggs in that first piece of comb. Of course, she'll lay, uh, you know, worker bee eggs and some drones because they will think for the future too, maybe making another family in the future. And they will start expanding that comb, expanding it, expanding, and then building more. So the stronger they become, the farther up they grow. And normally in nature, the bees start at the bottom and grow which way? Up, 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 up. That's the normal development cycle. So they will start growing larger, larger pieces of comb. And they will have normally, let's say this is the piece of comb right here, from here to here. Here's how they distribute their resources in the comb. They will put the honey where? On the, on the top of the comb. Then right underneath the honey, there will be a little bit pollen, which is protein for the bees, right? Honey is the carbohydrate. Pollen also has fat and micronutrients, like vitamins and minerals. Then right underneath food, they will have their brood. So the queen will lay eggs in the comb right underneath. Then at the very bottom, they might have some queen cells, maybe some drone cells. Normally, drone cells are slightly larger, and very often they are irregular in shape. They don't have to be perfectly hexagonal. So some of the drone cells will be slightly irregular, but still good for the drones. You know, drones are a little more chubby and stocky, and they don't care the way they, their cells look. You know, it's like a man cave, right? Um, if you have a lady in the house, it's all neat, all nice. So if you look at the brood where the ladies are raised, or the worker bees, they are all beautiful pattern of, of cells. When you look at the drone pattern, it's all like bumpy and stumpy and chubby kind of things. <laughs> you know? But that's how they are. And that's what, what happens in here. What if the colony expands? Time to break? Okay. Uh, the colony keeps expanding, they keep growing up and up and up. So if you buy a, uh, a hive, you normally, if you are in the USA, you buy root system hive, root is the name of a guy, that actually is expandable upwards. It is, con it is consisting of boxes about this size, nine inches plus, and each box can contain 10 frames. Some people have eight frame hives and they switch to eight frame hives, eight frame hives for a special reason. There's, there's a almond pollination industry in um, California that their minimum number of frames covered with bees is eight frames. They say, we want eight frames minimum. So some beekeepers say, why do I need to have 10 frames colony? If I'm taking it for pollination, pollination is the main money production for beekeepers, almond pollination. So you thought that beekeepers get their money from honey? Not at all. They get their money from almond pollination because almond growers will pay you about 160 to $200 per colony for bringing your colony for three, four weeks into their orchard. So some beekeepers say, why do I need 10 framers? I can be happy with just eight frames. So they've built eight frame equipment and it could be anywhere from one, two-story high, three-story high, or four-story high. That's probably the largest colony on a one queen that you can raise. It's about four-story high. A four-story high 
will, will be a very strong colony. Each box roughly will contain, when it's full, will contain about 10,000 bees. So each story will be about 10,000 bees when it's full. Each frame has fully, fully covered with bees. So we have two-story hive fully covered with bees. That's about 20,000 bees in that colony. Three, of course, 30,000. So a fully mature, very strong, like the strongest colony you can raise on one queen is about four-story high. That colony will be very strong. It will produce probably two young colonies for you that year. Like, you know, like cattle calves, you know, produces calves, the honey bee produce new colonies. So that colony will be able to produce two extra colonies and probably about 100 pounds of honey. Yes, a question. For someone starting out, what size or depth of frames do you recommend? Now, if you start a colony, you should go with standard size. Um, the frames that are nine inch frames, just regulate, they, they are called brood boxes, brood size, brood box uh, size, that's what you want. You go on and buy some equipment and you just buy brood box to start with. Another question. Are those call supers or mediums or shallows or? Okay, some people call them supers. Why, now, here, here's the terminology. Brood box size is, is nine inches plus and that's where they lay eggs and develop. Now, they're supers, they are half the size of those, and they are used for, not for brood, they are used for honey storage. And there's shallow supers, even smaller, also used for honey storage. Now, whoever is focused on honey production normally has two boxes of brood, like, so they have two full-size brood boxes on the bottom. Then they have a queen excluder, which is some kind of screen that is large enough, has large enough openings for the worker bees to go through, but since the queen is larger, it cannot go through this honey uh, queen excluder, right? So the queen is basically kept to the bottom two boxes, and she keeps laying eggs there. Then on top of these two boxes, they will put, many people will put a super for honey. It'll be a smaller box or shallow super, about this shallow. Some people produce honeycomb in sections, either round or square. It could be one of those supers too. So depending on what you want to produce, you will put your supers. Most commercial beekeepers that I know, if they are young, they would not mess with different size boxes. Why? Different standards, different sizes. You know, it's hard, it's, it's, it's too messy. So most younger beekeepers, and the way I'm emphasizing younger, are dealing just with deeps. They put two deeps for the brood, and then they put a deep for the honey, and then another deep for the honey. Now, remember, if you are 60 or 70 or 80-year-old beekeeper, and you have a deep full of honey, it's about 60-plus pounds. And if it's about this height. So try to lift 60 pounds about this height up. It's kind of hard. That's, it's really hard. I see a beekeeper nodding because this lady knows how heavy a full box of honey is. It's really heavy. So it will be hard to lift. And if you are young, like, you know, some of you are young, you are in your 20s and 30s, you are working out, it's not a big deal. Now I'm 52 and some of you are 60 and 70 maybe. That will be hard to do. So you would want to go with supers for your honey 
or, or shallows. You know, if you are 85 and older, I recommend shallows for your honey because you can pry them with the hive tool and lift because they would be about maybe 15 pounds, you know, maybe 20 pounds. You can lift that much and carry it where you, you, you need to go. Now, most commercial beekeepers, though, they don't even bother lifting up separate boxes. They use forklifts. They don't carry separate boxes. They use equipment that is, you know, forklifts, trucks, and things like that. But if you are just uh, a hobbyist like, you know, like myself, I'm not a commercial beekeeper, I'm a hobbyist. I don't have trucks or forklifts, and I carry my boxes by hand. So, so far I can carry a full 60-pound box of honey, okay. But when I'm getting to 60s and 70s and 80s, I hope I don't have to. Maybe the Lord comes next year, and that will be great. We'll do beekeeping in heaven. But if this will last, we will probably have to adjust on the sizes of the boxes for the honey. As I grow older, I will probably switch to shallows for the honey. And when, when I'm 85 plus, I will go to, to, to very shallow size. <laughs> so you can, you can open it up. So start with three hives, folks. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.